0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Turkish Heritage Organization podcast this week. We have a very exciting guest for this episode. We have Andrew O'Donoghue. Andrew is a current Turkish Heritage Organization non-resident fellow based in Istanbul. He is a research fellow at the Istanbul Policy Center, and we're very, very pleased and proud to announce that he is going to be a Ph.D. candidate at Harvard University this fall. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, Savannah, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on.
0: Andrew, you've recently published a new report with the Istanbul Policy Center entitled Turkey, Russia, and the West uh, with your co-authors Senem Aydin Biskit and Evren Balta. In that report, you start by analyzing what you call the central paradox of Turkey-Russia relations. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this paradox is and why is it so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is really a key issue that is so challenging for many Americans, and especially American policymakers, to understand. So we argue that the central paradox in Turkey-Russia relations is the fact that the relationship has been, on the one hand, so volatile, so prone to crises, and on the other hand, so resilient. So that is to say, uh, Turkey and Russia have faced repeated, and at times, existential crises over the past several years. So I'm sure THO's listeners will remember, in November 2015, when the Turkish military literally shot down a Russian warplane, And of course, more recently this February, when airstrikes in the Syrian province of Idlib uh, killed 34 Turkish soldiers, the deadliest day for the Turkish military in the entire Syrian conflict. And yet, what's so fascinating is that Turkey and Russia have proven capable of managing and moving past these crises. So this paradox is really at the heart of why so many American policymakers struggle to understand the Turkey-Russia relationship because they expect that serious crises like these should be driving Turkey and Russia apart, when in fact, they're not.
0: Yeah, you know, that's so true. And something that uh, you, you touched on in the report also is just this key aspect of um, this, you know, this, this paradox, but also a continued cooperation. Can you talk to us a little bit about why this continued cooperation um, is maintained, even in spite of what is described
1: as chronic instability? Hmm. Yeah, it's really puzzling. And our report argues that the key to this puzzle is understanding that there are certain factors within the bilateral relationship that are operating as drivers of cooperation and conflict at the same time. So one key factor that's really indispensable to understanding the relationship is the intense personalization of foreign policy decision making in both Turkey and in Russia. So Presidents Erdogan and Putin are not constrained by bureaucratic institutions or public debate. They are almost entirely free to make or even reverse policies as they see fit. And crucially, they've also blurred the lines in significant ways between the public interest and then their own partisan or just personal interest. Now, the highly personalized nature of Turkish and Russian foreign policy has helped the two cooperate in certain ways. So whereas the U.S. and the EU are used to working with institutions rather than individuals, Russia has proven extremely capable of courting other personalized regimes and really speaking the same language as Erdogan. But we've also seen that this personalization has fueled a lot of volatility in the relationship. And that's because there are just so few institutional mechanisms available to resolve disputes. So practically every single crisis requires a conversation between President Erdogan and President Putin and that's exactly what we've seen throughout the Syrian civil war is lots of social meetings and lots of telephone calls to iron these kinds of issues out. And another one just on the subject of Syria is intensifying mutual entanglement which of course the Syrian conflict has dramatically increased and what our research highlights is that Turkey-Russia relations today are not built on trust or mutual sympathy or even just mutual interest, and rather they rest on the acknowledgement that Russia in particular could do tremendous damage to Turkey if it wished, and there's nowhere that that's more true than in Idlib or in Syria more generally.
0: Now, I want to push you a little bit more on this because, I mean, this is this is a fantastic report. I will definitely uh, put a link in for our audience to go check it out because it's it's really well done uh, by you and your colleagues. But, you know, you talk about this highly personalized nature between uh, both Turkish and Russian foreign policymakers. Do you see this similarly in the U.S.? Because many have argued that, you know, President Trump and President Erdogan have had quite a personal relationship, whether it be jumping on a call Uh, you know, overturning or or shifting foreign policy that was kind of unexpected after these phone calls? Are you seeing any similarities in that sense from the the relationships on that
1: level? Hmm. So I think that's a fascinating point. What I would say is that Trump very much wants to be able to play the, the personalistic foreign policy game. And Erdogan thinks and sees that Trump is trying to, but the reality is that Trump's hands are tied in very significant ways, that Erdogan's hands are not, that prevent Trump Mm. from playing the personalistic game. So I think there are three key examples of this. The first is amid the coronavirus crisis, the Federal Reserve has been considering swap lines, which would basically give access to U.S. dollars to numerous countries around the globe. And Trump might very much want to give Turkey a swap line, but the Mm. Federal Reserve, an independent institution in the United States, makes that ultimate decision. A second, of course, key bilateral issue is the extradition of Fetullah Gulen, and mm-hmm. something that Turkey has mm-hmm. wanted ever since, the July 15 coup attempt. And there's a hope that Trump might be able to overrule the Justice Department and extradite Gulen. But in reality, that decision is not one that Trump makes personally. Rather, Trump's mm-hmm. hands are tied, and institutionally, Trump really can't deliver the goods, even if he wanted to. And of course, the third and final issue that our listeners will be extremely familiar with, is the issue of CASA sanctions, which ever since 2017 has been man- mandated by law uh, that the United States must sanction uh, countries that purchase uh, Russian military equipment. So Trump mm-hmm. would like probably to cut out a deal with Erdogan and to reduce the punishment of these sanctions, but he really can't necessarily stand between a very enraged Congress and the imposition of those sanctions.
0: Certainly, and, and if you had asked me, you know, at the beginning of the year where we would be in terms of U.S.-Turkey relations, U.S.-Turkey and Russia mm-hmm. relations, of course, we, we were expecting a much different uh, place as of right now. But, of course, quarantine and, and coronavirus has kind of shifted the narrative there. Uh, something that has prevailed in spite of, of COVID-19, unfortunately, are the developments that we are seeing in Idlib. Uh, The area of Turkey-Russia relations that's perhaps the most interesting, of course, to American audiences is in Syria and this ongoing crisis uh, that seems to have lasted forever, um, especially to many audiences here. What do you see, uh, especially in your report, as the key issues regarding Turkey's involvement in
1: Idlib? Hmm. Well, sort of as we were discussing with the coronavirus crisis, I think the first thing to discuss is just the ways in which the current virus and the pandemic has exacerbated Mm -hmm. many of the problems we're seeing in Idlib. We frequently talk about sheltering in place, but I think the more apt term for Idlib and many other refugee camps around the world is really suffering in place and the sense in Mm -hmm. which so many people around the world, especially in refugee camps, have such minimal access to running water, medical supplies, social distancing, that they are really at risk, and tremendous risk, um, of seeing their humanitarian situation crisis exacerbated by this pandemic. Now, to your question more specifically, I think that our report highlights that Idlib has become a quagmire for Turkey in which it's facing both diplomatic and tactical challenges. And what's making the conflict there so intractable is that Turkey has reached an impasse on both these diplomatic and tactical fronts. So, Diplomatically, the first challenge Turkey faces in Idlib is the fact that its policy objectives in Syria are unclear at best and mutually contradictory at worst. So, for example, mm. Turkish policy has primarily been reactive. Turkey wants to prevent adverse changes to the status quo, but it doesn't necessarily have a clear or feasible vision for a political solution in Syria. Another diplomatic challenge, of course, is negotiations with Russia over how to separate moderate armed groups from jihadist ones in India. And that's a sticking point, diplomatically, that has perpetually fueled instability and is continuing to fuel instability now. But it's also crucial to highlight that there are tactical challenges facing the Turkish military. And perhaps the most important one is the fact that Russia controls Syria's airspace, particularly in the west of the country, and any Turkish ground campaign is thus highly risky. So an indication of this fact, of course, is that Ankara literally needed to engage in talks with Russia before it launched Operation Euphrates Shield in Bab, or Operation Olive mm-hmm. Branch in Afrin. And of course, Turkey's purchase of the Russian-made S-400 missile defense system has made this worse, because the S-400 is of extremely little use in countering Russian air power. So I think that mm-hmm. what our research highlights is that Turkey is facing a tremendously difficult situation in Idlib on numerous fronts, and we haven't even discussed, of course, the issue of millions of refugees and internally displaced people contained within the province. But I think that our research highlights that Turkey really has no good options and that the track the conflict has really become intractable there.
0: Right. And, you know, I think this is such a key issue right now because even in spite of, uh, you know, increased, Relations with the U.S. and Turkey, of course, is always going to be that influence of Russia. And to analyze the Turkey-Russia relationship is absolutely critical, especially as the developments in Idlib, unfortunately, continue. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even with everything going on, and I, I will say that you you and I were were just briefly talking of for, before this conversation, but the Turkish Heritage Organization also heard from you know different remarks from Foreign Minister Şilichoğlu, and and hearing this perspective of the involvement of Russia, so something that certainly we're going to be continuing to watch and in the influence Mm. of that relationship on the U.S.-Turkey relationship. Uh, You know, just to end perhaps on a more brighter note, as as we were discussing, what are some of the ways in which Turkey's allies can still advance its security at this critical juncture in Turkey-Russian relations?
1: Mm. I think that's an excellent question, and I think that our research on Turkey-Russian relations highlight several different approaches. So the first one is that Turkey's NATO allies really urgently need to shake the Cold War reflex of viewing Western and Russian relations with Turkey Mm -hmm. as zero-sum and mutually exclusive. So I think this is precisely what Shabashoglu was getting out in the THO conversation. Mm -hmm. It's that NATO members need to acknowledge that some level of cooperation with Russia is beneficial to Turkey and that Western efforts to control Turkey or limit that cooperation are almost always going to be counterproductive and to spark a certain amount of indignation among the Turkish public. I think a second point is that the United States and NATO should try to multilateralize their efforts, and in particular invoke the Berlin Plus Agreement to assist Turkey in responding directly to the Idlib crisis. So for those not familiar with the Berlin Plus Agreement, it allows the EU in particular to make use of NATO assets, U.S. assets, and capabilities for humanitarian and crisis management operations. And as we've just discussed, the Idlib crisis is not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And I think that being proactive, using these multilateral initiatives that already exist, these capacities, is really crucial to signaling support for Turkey and then making that support concrete. I think finally is the U.S. And the U.S. in particular should seize the opportunity now to reinvigorate U.S.-Turkey relations. So I think in particular, the Trump administration should approve Turkey's recent request to have limited access to the Patriot missile defense system, a U.S.-produced system that would allow Turkey greater ability to counter Russian air power. And the Turkey in particular has requested this military equipment on a temporary basis to respond to its immediate security needs in um, Idlib province. I think another key issue is that the United States executive branch should try to limit limit the damage from compulsory CAFTA sanctions on Turkey. But as we've just discussed, no matter what the United States or NATO does, it's crucial to keep in mind in closing that Mm -hmm. Turkey-Russia cooperation is here to stay. And it's really about thinking about how the United States can manage and make its relationship with Turkey more constructive, understanding and knowing that Mm -hmm. Turkey and Russia will continue as neighbors to have a strong and often cooperative relationship.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for those comments. You, know, I, I really I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's critical to understand the nuances of the Turkey-Russia relationship. Whether you like it or not,
1: mm. it is
0: here to stay. And I think that the Istanbul Policy Center report with you and your colleagues really highlighted key ways in which the U.S. can utilize this to still maintain a very strong relationship with Turkey, uh, especially as NATO allies. So we're going to be watching that. We will be watching, of course, the Trump administration's reactions to uh, whether it be the the Patriot Missile acquisition or, um, you know, weaker Kansas sanctions. We'll have to wait and see, of course. But I want to just thank you again for joining us today. It has been an honor as a THO non-resident fellow to watch your writings and uh, your research develop. And we can't wait to see what is next for you to come at
1: Harvard University as well. Well, Savannah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on. And great talking to you always.
0: Thank you. Thank you. want to remind our audience that you can visit more at www.turkheritage.org. You can subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date with the latest podcasts, including episodes just like this with our experts and fellows and researchers alike. And we are also going to be continuing to promote our webinars, both live and pre-recorded, that you can tune in during this time. So stay safe, and we will talk to you all soon.